Well, here we go. This is called by some Low Sunday, after Christmas, into New Year, but there's nothing low about it this morning. Am I right? And uh, it's a bit of a different one, isn't it? We've got the kids in, and um, that's, um, you know, a bit of a different thing. So I'm going to do my best to speak as loud as I can, and uh, you've got to do your best to stay focused, and uh, we'll go from there. Now, I had a, a good sermon written this week on Hebrews 12. I sort of thought we're going into a new year. What would be a really good message for the new year? Well, how about this message of run the race, run the race? And so I prepped that message and I printed out some sheets for the kids to color in. And you'll see that at the top of the sheets, uh, run, 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 run the race, very clever. And, uh, and then I messaged Joe, who was leading with me this morning. And I said to her, Joe, um, I've written this sermon. I didn't tell her what it was about, but just got, you know, that's probably maybe what I'm going to say. Did you have any sense of what God was going to say? Am I, I don't know, my human sense was, I hope she was going to say, no, Will, the thing you've got planned is the thing you should do, because that's uh, exactly right. You've worked at it, well done, you've printed off the sheets. And instead, I should have known this was going to happen, because Joe um, listens to the Lord. And uh, I want to say thank you, Joe, for not just this week, but the time you've given in your life, a life of faith, of listening to God, and I've seen that on so many occasions, so I want to say thank you for that. Um, but Joe, of course, texted me and said, I really feel what God wants to say this morning is he wants to talk to people about coming home. He wants to talk to people about home. And this idea that whereas we enter the new year, um, as we come up with the temptation at the new year is to sort of come up with all these great things we want to achieve and want to do. And they're all in our own power and in our own strength. And she said, I just feel like what God wants to say is, you know, just come home. Just come home, and from that place of home, from that place of rest, security, then you can sort of enter into the new year, not sort of with striving, not with your own effort and power, but from a place of rest and surrender. And I thought, what a great message. And I was kind of wrestling, should I share that message? Should show just give a thought? And then um, I looked at the reading for today, and the reading was this one from uh, Luke's Gospel, Jesus in the Temple, and it has that line in the middle of it. Mary and Joseph asked Jesus, where have you been? And Jesus says, did you not know I needed to go and be in my father's house? I need to be about my father's business. But essentially what he's saying is, I needed to be home with my dad. And I saw that and I thought, oh, here we go. And then can I, um, I was in Liverpool this weekend and I was, uh, sorry, this is a long rambly introduction, but I was in Liverpool this weekend and uh, I visited Anfield Stadium. Now that's a hard thing for me to do because I'm a Spurs fan and particularly at the moment, but we visited Anfield Stadium and we walked up to Anfield Stadium. Can I get that first picture up? And I saw this, about 20 foot high in front of my eyes, just as I was thinking about what I was going to preach on this morning. A big stadium with a line crossed through it and then underneath it says, home. Can I go to the next one? Zoom in on that? Yeah. Like literally I couldn't miss it. And I felt, you know, God sort of say, yeah, really, you've got to do that message, I'm afraid. That's the one I want you to do. So this morning is an act of faith. An act of faith because the kids are in and an act of faith because I'm talking about something which... You know, I didn't prepare in the week, but we're going to go with it because God speaks and we've got to listen, right? So we're going to talk this morning about home, about being at home. And uh, I want to do something with the kids, right? There's something um, that happens to me every year when it gets to sort of about November the 25th and I'm thinking about Christmas and I'm thinking about Advent. And I don't know what does it for you, what really, whether it's the smell of Christmas trees, whether it's the tinsel in the aisles, whatever it is. For me, it's the music, right, that does it. And there's one particular song and um, I'm going to play you that song. Let's see if it does for you what it does for me, 25th of November. Here we go. Here we go. 
absolute tune, absolute tune. And, and we're, all of a sudden, we're in Christmas mode. So I'm going to teach this to the kids, all right? They've had a nativity, talk to them. But uh, kids, kids, kids over there, everybody wave. Matt Proctor, Proctor, can you wave? I need the kids' attention. We're going to teach the kids a bit of liturgy this morning, okay? Now, the line is driving home for Christmas. Can everybody stay driving home for Christmas? I'm going to count to three. You ready? One, two, three. Driving home for Christmas. Here we go. I'm going to play the music, and then you're going to join in. This is an important education for our children. You ready? You got it. Well done. Round of applause for our children. Uh, Christmas is this, this theme of home is so significant to Christmas. Chris Rear is one of them driving home for Christmas. Baby, please come home. Michael Bublé sings. Uh, the prettiest sight you'll see is the holly that will be on your own front door. The line goes, Christmas sort of captivates this idea of home, the, the place to be at Christmas. And I find it really interesting because New Year is not the same. No other really festival that we have in our culture is the same. But there's something about Christmas, which is like you've got to be home. And so you sort of see images, got a couple of images up on the screen, you'll see of sort of Christmas trees and open fires. And it's sort of cozy, it's warm, it's embracing. That's the place you need to be for Christmas. This, this, this idea that's crept into our culture from Scandinavia of huga. Cougar, comfort, coziness, right? To be warm and cozy and embrace. That's what Christmas is all about. And so home then, this idea of home, is this idea, I've just got three things, three words that I think describe what home is all about as a concept. And those three words are comfort, safety, and foundation. Home is a place of comfort where you feel warm, embraced. It's a place of safety, that whatever's going on in the world, you, sort of, you can feel safe at home. And it's a place of foundation, like I say, that image of the kids sort of coming to back to mum and dad and then going back out again. If you've got home, you've got foundation on which you can do everything else. Does that make sense? So, so home is this place of comfort, safety, and foundation. And, and what I notice about Christmas is there's sort of this idea of longing for home. This idea that each of us long to be at home, back home. And the, the traffic jams on the M1 on sort of Christmas Eve, right, are a, a kind of a parabolic sort of telling of this idea that humans at Christmas time, we want to be home. There's a longing for it. St. Augustine, writing in the fourth century, great thinker, great theologian said this. He described human beings like this. He was praying to God. God, he said, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, is what Augustine says. You've made us for ourselves, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But basically what he's saying is, God, this whole story is that as human beings, we're like homeless, and our home is in you. And until we find our home in you, those things that we need, comfort, safety, and foundation, we'll never have. So Augustine is saying, just as human beings... To be a human is to desire those things. To be a human is to desire to be home. And for Augustine, a Christian, he believes that because God created us, because we're created by the creator, the only place we will ever find that home, the comfort, safety, foundation that we need, the only place we will ever find it is in God. To be in communion with God, to be talking with God, to be praying to God, to be with God, to be worshipping God. Only when we do that, he says, will we fill that longing within us now that's significant that that's a significant fact about what it is to be a human being 
You see, you see, sometimes we think that to be a human being is to really know stuff. That what drives our actions or our behavior is what we know, what we think. And so we go to school and learn stuff. And the more stuff we learn, the better sort of behaved we can be, the better human beings we can be. And what Augustine says is, no, 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 it's not quite right. Actually, what drives us forward in life is not what we think, but what we feel. What drives us as human beings is not what we know, but what we long for. And this is why the constant question Jesus asked again and again in the Gospels is, what do you want? Not what do you think, not what do you know, what do you understand, what, do you, what even do you believe? He asked, what do you want? What do you long for? What's your heart longing for? And Jesus knows, and this is what Augustine was saying is, our hearts long for God. And until that longing is satisfied in him, we'll always have that sense of just feeling a little bit homeless. And so Jesus, in verse 49 of our reading, and if you've got your Bibles open, we're in Luke chapter 2. It's the sort of follow-on, I guess, from the nativity story. We get this story of Jesus in the manger, this baby, and then we see him grow up, 12 years old, and he goes to the temple, and he's missing for a couple of days. And his family eventually find him, and they say, Jesus, where were you? And he says, oh, did you not know? I had to be in my father's house. I had to be. Do you see? It's a sentence of longing. It's a sentence of desire. I just had to be here. I had to be here. That's what's at the heart of our reading this morning is this sentence of longing, of Jesus longing for home. He knows where his home is. And before he grows up, before he sort of matures, the thing that he puts at the very foundation of his existence is home in God. And from there, he can do wonders. But he starts from that place. By the way, just a little caveat, because I'm a parent, and uh, my children are not yet 12. But I do have children. Mary and Joseph are without Jesus for a couple of days. Jesus has sort of run off back to the temple and they're missing him. He's gone for three days. Can you imagine how they must have felt to be missing their boy for three days? And sometimes what happens is you read the commentaries on this. You read what scholars say and you say, oh, Mary and Joseph were just silly. They didn't know what Jesus was about. They didn't know that he had to go to the temple. You know, they, they sort of had like warped desire and Jesus had pure desire. I just, I want to sort of question that a little bit. I think it's okay if you're a mum and your dad and your son goes missing for three days to be a little bit anxious. I think God would want them to be worried. After this passage, it says about Jesus going back to Nazareth and he was obedient. And it doesn't say he was obedient from that point on, but it's almost like Luke sort of gives a little wink. Like he was then, from then on, he sort of listened to what they said. And it says that Jesus matured and grew in stature and grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge, in other words. He knew how to behave. But at that point, what we have is this young 12-year-old boy with a raw desire to be in God's presence, a raw passion to be in God's presence, he might have just had the thought to go to his mum and dad and just say, I'd like to go back to the temple. But he was a young boy. I don't think the scriptures sort of justify his actions of leaving his mum and dad and leaving them to be worried. Maybe when he grew up, he would have asked them before he went. But do you see my point? That as a young boy, and we're seeing this in our kids in kids' church, there's this hunger, this longing for God's presence. They might not have the knowledge, the understanding at that point. They might not have the sort of wisdom, the know-how of how to behave in church and how to be a Christian, but they have this longing, this hunger for home. And I don't know where you are on the journey today. I don't know whether you feel a bit like that. You know, like, I can't come to Bible and breakfast on a Thursday because I just don't know enough or... 
you know, I can't go and pray for people on the streets because, you know, I'm just a bit inexperienced or I'm new to all this. And yet you have this longing in you. What I want to say this morning as we talk about coming home, that's it. That's it. Everything else will come from that. Everything else will come from that. Jesus goes to the temple, he then goes back home and he learns the stuff. But at that point, he just has this raw desire. All I would say is, if you get that right, if you get the hunger right, the longing right, the desire right, everything else will come. Everything else will come. Do not be dismayed this morning. Find your home in God and everything else will come. Augustine's point is that we desire home. And the problem is, he says, is that we sort of find home in lots of other things. We find home in lots of other things. And if we have a longing for comfort, for safety and foundation, we have that longing, that sort of pull towards them. But the problem is we find it in other... So if we have a longing for comfort, so often we find that, you know, if only my house was a bit bit more comfortable. If only we could get a few more heaters in church... Then we'll be comfortable. Yeah, I'll mentor that. That's a good one. Right? Or safety. If I had a bit more money in the bank, a bit more disposable income, then I'd be safe. Do you see? So the longing is good. It's not that the longing is bad. The longing is right. It's for safety. It's just that we're finding it in the wrong thing. Or a foundation. So often we find our foundation in identity. You know, if I had that right identity, if, if people saw me in the right way, if I could get that position at work, if I could get that title before my name, then I'd, be, then I'd have a foundation from which I could go and be dangerous in the world. Right? The longing is right, but it's just warped. I was really struck this week to read about um, Cam Bancroft. Can we go to the next slide? Yeah, Cameron Bancroft. He's an Australian cricketer. Hands up if you've heard of, heard of him. Yeah, he's an Australian cricketer. And um, last March, Australia were playing South Africa in a test match. Um, if you're not into cricket, I'm sorry. This is a cricket bit. Um, you switch off for a minute. There's a train set over there if you want to go and play. And um, he was, they were playing cricket, and they did something very naughty. Um, under the guidance of his captain, Steve Smith, and one of the other key players, David Warner, Cam Bancroft, a young cricketer, only just started playing. He took out the ball, and with a bit of sandpaper, he sanded down one side of the ball. Right? And if you know anything about cricket, you'll know that makes the ball swing. They're more likely to take wickets and win the game. So it's cheating, basically. And they were found out, and they were fined. They were banned from playing the game. Um, real, real costly mistake for this guy. I've been so impressed, though, by this young man's attitude since that event. Lots of ways you could have responded to something like that. Become prickly, angry, frustrated. He didn't. He's done a lot of soul-searching. And he, this week, I read this. This is what he said. He said this. Speaking to Australian broadcaster Fox News, Bancroft, age 26, added... The decision was based around my values, he said, what I valued at the time. And I valued fitting in. You hope that fitting in earns you respect. It's such a wise statement. He, he gets what Augustine is saying. He might not have, I'm not saying he sort of found Jesus as the answer, but he gets the idea that as human beings, we're, we're longing for something. What he realizes about his actions is, you know, the reason I did that, the reason I cheated, because for me, the highest value at that point was fitting in. And so Steve Smith comes along, this great cricketer who I admire, comes along and says, you know, Cam, if you sand the ball down, you'd be in then. He does it, right? Why? Because the thing he values more than playing by the rules or being fair or being just or being kind of doing the right thing, the thing that he wants more at that moment is fitting in. That's why he behaves as he does. Do you see as human beings how the things that we do, the actions we do, this is particularly true of 
you know, addictive behaviors or, or, or just sort of negative patterns of behavior. The problem is, is that we're wanting something more than the thing we should be wanting, right? And so my challenge to you this year as you come into the new year is to think about, okay, this isn't just about me needing the power to do something new. Actually, what I need to do is reorientate my desires. If I want that thing more than anything else, I'll do it. If I want Jesus more than anything else, I'll do it. Do you see that? It's not just a case of I'm going to pray more, I'm going to read my Bible more. It's actually how do, I, how do I get to a place where I want him more, where I want it to be true more? Make sense? Cam Bancroft gets it. There's this innate longing for home. And what we see through the scriptures is that home is actually the story, if you like, of the scriptures. This longing for home that Augustine is talking about is really the story, you know, that God creates this good world and he's with human beings. He's with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's with them. Whether you think they existed or didn't, it doesn't matter. The story is about God is with human beings at that point. And then their disobedience, their sin, their brokenness takes them away from him. If you like, they become homeless. They're at home with God in the garden. They become homeless. And then the, from that point on, the rest of the story of the scriptures, from that point on, through the Bible, is this story of God making his home again with human beings. That's his desire. He's a God of home. He knows that human beings have their home in him. And so the whole story is re repositioning them so they'll be at home with him. He takes Israel and he situates himself right in the middle of it. He takes them out of homelessness in Egypt and he brings them into home in the promised land. And right at the heart of the home is the tabernacle and then the temple, his presence, his home. And so what you read through the Old Testament again and again is this idea of God wanting to find a home, a house for his name, a house where he can be, where he can be present, so that people can go and meet with him and be at home. And we, we heard this morning, I really wanted to read that Psalm 84. Because what you see in Psalm 84 is this human longing for home and this idea that the psalmist, the person who wrote the psalm, knows that the place where they find home is in God. How lovely is your dwelling place? He's talking about the temple because that's where they believe God dwell. How lovely is your dwelling place, God Almighty? My soul yearns, even faints for your courts, Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your house, in your home, than a thousand days I could spend anywhere doing any other thing. His number one desire is for God's home, to be at home with God. And we read that all the way through the Psalms. Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of God forever. Psalm 27, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I might be at home with God forever. Psalm 69, zeal for your house consumes me. I desire to be in God's home. And the scriptures continue into the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is, the idea of Jesus is that he comes and, and in flesh, in this baby boy, it's like God's home has, has come to be with us. God's home is now with mankind, as the scriptures talk about. Jesus is the temple. He is the presence of God walking around on earth. God, Emmanuel, God with us. God is now at home again. And through his death and resurrection and Pentecost, through the launching of his spirit, God's presence is now with us, accessible, easy to access. Wherever we go, we don't need to go to temple. God dwells with us, in us. In John 14, Jesus says, if you ask, me and my Father in heaven will abide with you. If you like, will make their home in you. If you ask, we can be at home with you. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, 
I can be with you. That's the vision of the New Testament. And then this 12-year-old Jesus we see in the temple, he goes and he fulfills all this. I need to be nowhere else but with my Father. Jesus is the one who shows that's the thing that the psalmist is longing for. He shows what it looks like. This is what it's going to look like for me. I'm going to put God's presence, I'm going to put home with God as my number one priority. And you just watch what happens. And so this new year, as we enter into this new year, coming up with all the things that we want to achieve, all the things that we want to be, what I want to encourage us with this morning is this invitation to make home with God. To make home again with God, to come home. To come home. Comfort, safety, foundation. The opposite of those, I guess, comfort, discomfort, disease. This is what homelessness looks like, homelessness in a spiritual sense. You know, it looks like being disoriented, being uncomfortable. Safety. If you don't have safety deep down, what springs up is anxiety and fear. If you don't, if you don't act from that place of safety, we so often act from, from anxiety, from fear. Foundation. If we don't have a foundation, a stable foundation, you know, it feels literally like sort of the bottom of life could drop out at any moment. Right? That if that person goes, or if that person leaves, or if that, that, that investment fails, or whatever it is, it feels literally, if we haven't got a foundation, it feels like the, the bottom drops out. And that's where we talk, the word we probably use for that is depression, or, or just deep, deep despair. Just darkness. The, the, the bottom of life, there's not hope. That's what homelessness looks like, a lack of comfort, a lack of safety, a lack of foundation. And so the, the, the hope for us as we enter this new year is that God is offering each of us home. Deep down within us, we can know home, that wherever we go, whatever we do, we could know home. Can you imagine what that looks like for your life? That you could go, you could act from that place of home. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you could constantly be at home. How do we do that? How do we get that? How do you get that? Is it something you sort of chase? Is it something you need to work at? Is it, is it something you need to sort of make real effort to do? I think, listen, I think there's effort. We talk about disciplines. We talk about habits. We talk about making God your number one priority. We talk about what that looks like in terms of your diary. You know, if somebody goes through your diary, does it look like God is your number one priority? Does it look like God is your home? Does it look like God is the place you retreat back to at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day you start from that point? We can talk about all those things and maybe that's for another week. But this morning the word Joe had was really about grace, that there's an invitation this morning to come home. Not about effort, not about striving, there's just an invitation. Just come back home. Come back home. And I think as I was reflecting this week, for me, the grace starts when we see Jesus. The grace starts when we look at him. When we look at him. And as I was reflecting on it, I thought to myself, you know, Jesus lives this fascinating existence. And really, one, one way you could understand his life, actually, is to talk about home and homelessness. Actually, those words are really significant for his existence, I think. It's interesting to me that the nativity stories we've been looking at, the birth stories of Jesus, take place during a census. And a census is essentially leave where you're at, leave your home, 
and go back to your original home or your ancestral or your family home. And so the story of Jesus' birth, he's born into a world of upheaval where people quite literally are homeless, right? Where they've been taken out of their homes and people are moving around all over the place. It's a time of great unsettling. You know, we thought Brexit was unsettling. You can imagine if suddenly the emperor, the king, the queen or whatever says, you need to go back to where your family's originally from, how unsettling that would be. He's born into that environment. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew makes the point that for the first few years of his life, Jesus was a refugee. That Herod wanted to kill all the baby boys and and God said to Joseph, go, take your family, go to Egypt. Leave your home, go to a different place. You know, we're seeing these migrants across Europe at the moment, fleeing war, persecution, famine. Jesus was a refugee for the first few years of his life. He didn't have a home. He knows what it was to be homeless. And in Luke's gospel, he makes the point that when Mary and Joseph go to, to give birth, Mary wants to give birth to Jesus, there's no, what's the word, no room for them, no home for them in the inn. He, he makes that really clear and he's not messing around there. He's making a point. You know, when God came to earth, some people welcomed him, but on the whole, Jesus was without a home. He experienced homelessness. And Luke's gospel then, from that point on, is a journey to Jerusalem, a journey to the cross and to the resurrection. Jesus is born, and from that point on, he's traveling back to Jerusalem. Age 12, he's in Jerusalem, and they respond to him. It says they respond, we read that, verse 50, I think, we respond with amazement at him. Amazement at his teaching. That same boy, 18 years later, would be back in Jerusalem, and they wouldn't be amazed anymore. They'd be shocked and horrified. You know, when a young boy, when a 12-year-old boy is impressing them, you can sort of nod your head and say, that's amazing. When a grown man is doing it and he's saying things that are undermining you and undermining your authority, then it becomes dangerous. The journey of Luke's gospel is a journey of acceptance to rejection. Rejection. Jesus is rejected. He would go to the temple courts. They would arrest him. They would throw him out of the temple, throw him out of the presence of God, if you like, throw him out of the city, and then crucify him on a hill outside of the city, outside of God's presence, away from home. Jesus quite literally becomes, he was born homeless, he experienced homelessness, and at the end of his life, he is homeless again. Why? It's so that you and I could experience home. God himself, who who was at home in heaven, who enjoyed comfort, safety, pleasure, foundation, joy in heaven, gave it all up, became homeless, so that you and I, each of you, each of us, could know deep in our soul that we are home. He did it all for us. And so where does it start? How do you get that longing? How do you get that desire? How do you get to that place where you feel at home? It comes from looking at him, meditating on him, making him the object of your focus, making him the object of your time. And when you see what it cost him, when you see what he was willing to give up for you, when you see the homelessness that he endured so that you and I could be at home, then we will know deep down in our bones deep down in our soul, that we are at home, that we are at home. I just want to end with a story. I was um, 17, and I went to um, Malawi in Africa, and I was there for two weeks. And one of the things that I did in Malawi, because I was a bit naughty, was I swam across part of the lake Malawi, and in the distance was an island. And they told me, with hand on heart, that this island was about 200 meters away. Well, I don't know what tools they were using to measure it. 
but it was a lot further than 200 meters. And I decided to swim with a friend of mine. We were told we weren't allowed to, but I decided to swim anyway. And so I swam this 200 meters across to this island. And about halfway across, I was really struggling. It was such a stupid thing to do. So dangerous. I was away from home, away from my mum and dad. And here I was in the middle of Lake Malawi, struggling to swim. No one around, just us, us and my friend. And eventually, I, was, I did backstroke. I did front call. I did everything I had. I was sort of under the water, up above the water, spitting out the water. And eventually, we got to this island. I remember just sort of getting there, pulling myself up onto the rocks, getting there and just lying on my back in the sun, just breathing deep breaths, my chest going right in. And feeling just safe enough. But when, as I lay there on that island, I, I began to cry. And I just felt like a little boy who was a long, long way from home. And it's, I was thinking about it because it's probably the time in my life I would say I felt furthest from home. I was geographically furthest from home, but emotionally, spiritually, I felt furthest from home as well. And I just remember lying there and just thinking, I just, I've never felt so far from home. And what happened was we couldn't swim back. There was no way we were going to be able to swim back. And so we needed help. We needed help. And so they sent um, a little boat, and it was just one guy in this boat, this canoe. He, he came across the 785 meters, or whatever it was, <laughs> to, this, to this island to rescue me and my friend off this island. And we, we couldn't have done it by ourselves. And we got into this canoe, and he, he took us home. And I, I was just thinking about it this morning. And I just, I just wanted to say to you, I, when Joe talks about an invitation or a grace this morning to come home, you know, it just starts with getting in the boat. I don't know where you feel, whether you feel a long way from the home of the Father right now or, or whether you feel very close. But the invitation, as we say, is that this new year we can go from a place of home into the new year, from a place of rest, of security. But for me, it started, I just, I, I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't do it myself. I couldn't do it myself. I needed to get into the boat. I needed to get into the boat and be taken. And Jesus stepped down out of heaven, experienced homelessness so that you and I could experience home. He, we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot get to the place that we need to get to where we feel at home. God is offering something. He's offering it this morning. He offers it for the whole of our lives. Arms open wide. Get into the boat. Get into the boat and I'll take, the, take you home. I'll begin the journey of getting you home. I'll begin the journey of getting you home. Why don't we stand together?